Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 2. You'll find it on your your notes here as well. It'll be on the screen. (coughs) Take these things away. What is that about? Take these things. That's what I say when I walk into the house and I'm tripping over Legos and all in every room I walk into. I say, kids, take these things away or I'll throw them away. <clears throat> Time to purge the house again. Kathy and I, we purge the house when the kids sleep so that we're not having pushback and arguments, what they don't know. <laughs> Nine months go by. Hey, where's my little horsey? Where's your little horsey? You haven't played for that with nine months. You just recognized it. I got to bring up the right PowerPoint here. There it is. John chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. (coughs) Excuse me. It was was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. That's where it was, you know. The Jewish Passover is celebrated every year. Just going to pause for a second. So Jews, Jewish men from all over Judea, all over Israel, they would travel back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They were celebrating the fact that Jesus, 1,500 years ago, from what we just read, had delivered them from oppression and slavery in Egypt. They're celebrating the Passover, a time of spiritual thanksgiving to God, a time of intimacy to remember what he'd done and to draw near to him and give thanks to him and to hear from him. Verse 14, in the temple area, he saw merchants, Jesus, saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes, and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor, turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. So Jews would be coming from all over, And as they'd approach Jerusalem, they would be preparing their hearts. They're supposed to be preparing their hearts and gaining perspective and getting ready to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and offerings and so forth and and to hear from God afresh, to hear the law. The law was taught from the temple. The law was given out. The, the, the God's instructions were given out. Sermons were given out from the temple. Prayer was offered at the temple. A time of waiting on God, a time of rejoicing was done at the temple. Of worship and praise. Sometimes people standing or waiting for hours and hours or even days sometimes at the temple. The temple. Not a temple, but the, there was one temple that the Jewish people had. There were synagogues all over the known world at this time when Jesus came on the scene. There was one temple, the temple in Jerusalem. One temple where there was one 
group of people, the Levites, that were to minister to serve at the temple, the gates of the temple, so forth, the courtyards of the temple, with the sacrifices that would be offered. There was one high priest, only one, who would go into the Holy of Holies, the innermost chamber of the temple, and only once a year was he allowed to go in. That was the Holy of Holies where he would make atonement for the people, for their sins. And there was a veil that separated every person, everybody from the Holy of Holies. A large veil, thick curtain of sorts. One temple. It was magnificent. It was beautiful. It served a purpose. It hosted the presence of God. God had told them to make a temple. As people would approach Jerusalem, um, they would be singing loudly or softly under their breath or meditating in their hearts the song of ascent. What is the song of ascent? The songs of ascent are Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, most of them written by David, one by Solomon. And these were things that they were to meditate on as they were coming to God's temple. There's a summary of what those looked like. <coughs> Each of them is a chapter. You have to excuse a cough. I feel great, but I have a cough that's lasted about two weeks. So <clears throat> so here, songs of ascent, preparing their heart to meet with God. If you go to Jerusalem today, this is what you'll see on the Temple Mount is a temple, a Muslim temple right now. And um, here's another view of it. There's the Muslim, the dome on the rock. But that is, these, see this huge wall, platform, right here. All the way right there. Right over here is the Wailing Wall. The bottom of this wall, I can't like show you, but down here is the Wailing Wall. That's as close as the Jews can really get to the Temple Mount. And they'll come there and they'll pray. And the base stones down on the very bottom are from King Herod's day. It's from that original platform that was built on which the temple was situated. And back then, um, ancient Israelite temple timeline. So the first temple that God had the Israelites made was when they came out of Egypt initially, out of slavery, and they were to make a tabernacle, a tent temple, uh, a traveling temple. They could pack up and then put it up again when they moved and, um, and it was, if you read, it gets, it's the most boring thing to read in the entire world. Found in, what, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, somewhere in there, Exodus 2. They say how they were to make the temple, and what color each curtain had to be, and how long each rod and each even, even vessel that was used within the temple, what it had to consist of and look like and be, and how it was to be moved or not moved or folded or not folded. And who was to touch it, and who was to move it, and who was not allowed to touch and move it, and how it was to be moved, carried, not on wheels. Very specific. Signifying many things, but, but one thing primarily is God's holiness. And their, their obligation to 
obey God fully, trust him and obey him and do things his way, in his manner, because there are things that symbolize certain things that they have no idea yet. It was even for the future. There was a shadow of things to come. So that was the first one, right? That was this tabernacle here. And then um, they got into the promised land, the, the current land of Israel. And, um, and after some years, they had kings, and there was King David. David wanted to build the temple. Uh, and God said, no, it's going to be your son. I'm going to have your son build it. But David got a lot of stuff ready for it. And then Solomon built this temple here, 968 B.C., that was constructed. And it was elaborate and beautiful. And, and there's a big psalm of dedication, um, prayer of dedication that, that Solomon wrote and said before the people. And there's an entire chapter in the Bible. Did I write down what chapter that is? I'll tell you if I come across it. Um, But just how it was to be a place where people would meet with God and where God would hear them. He would hear them. And and he would work on their behalf. And even if they were, he said, even if, if our people forsake you and are captive in foreign lands, if they will turn their face toward the temple and pray, would you hear them and bring them back and establish them again and so forth? That's what happened, actually. So um, Babylon came, destroyed Solomon's temple. That was King Nebuchadnezzar, 586 B.C. They were in captivity for 70 years. And then they came back, and there's Nehemiah and Ezra, and it's Zerubbabel, Jeshua, who reconstructed the temple. Uh, Zechariah and Haggai were a couple prophets. They reconstructed the temple. It wasn't quite as grand and, and magnificent as this one. But it was a temple nonetheless, and it was the best they could do with what they had. And that served as the temple... Uh, all the way until King Herod came on the scene. And King Herod just uh, remodeled. He made everything way bigger, way bigger, and way more elaborate. And this was uh, years and years, at least this time when Jesus came on the scene, it was 46 years of renovation so far when Jesus and his disciples were standing there at this point in time. So quite a temple, and um, we'll move on from that uh, Let's see here. All right. In that temple, Herod's temple, I wanted to point out, um, this is kind of, there was different areas. And this is where the Israelite men could come, is up around. Only, only the high priest could go into the back of this building. The back of this building. But the Israelite men could be here, the women could be in here. The Gentile courts were here. The Gentiles could come, but they couldn't even go inside any of this area. They could come, they could pray. This was for them to do that, that thing, to come and meet with God. They were not to come inside. That's the gate beautiful leading in. This is Solomon's colonnade. Um, so they had pillars 40 feet high and overhangs and shelters and so forth. So there's the courts. So Jesus comes into the temple now, and he sees, in the Gentile courts, in the Gentile courts, livestock and money changers, business and commerce happening right there. 
The place where people come to worship God, the holiest place, the most solemn, reverent, intimate place for the Gentile people to meet was monopolized and confiscated by business and commerce and profiteering and extortion. They had turned the temple into a store, into a marketplace. Now, people were instructed to bring animals to the temple for sacrifices and so forth, and they'd either bring them from where they lived, or a lot of times they'd come to Jerusalem, and at that place is where they would purchase animals. And that was typically done in, um, had been for, for centuries, um, in the Kidron Valley is where that would happen. And that's right between the Temple Mount, Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives. So there's a large valley area there that they could purchase animals uh, there for their sacrifice and bring them. But out of convenience, most likely, and profit, all of a sudden that has happening in the temple itself. Commercial convenience created change. Preventing the court of the Gentiles from being used as God has intended it. Had intended it. John chapter 2, verse 14, it says, In the temple area he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. All right. Number one in your notes, takeaways, they blurred the lines for convenience sake. Yeah. Holy versus unholy, pure versus impure, ministry versus business, God's interest versus self-interest, ignoring important and necessary distinctions and boundaries and roles, bringing God down to our level, treating him as nothing more than our partner or our buddy. No, God is holy. God is worthy of honor. We must recognize his kingship. There was a buck to be earned. There was a dollar to be earned. There was a less complicated way. It was easier, right? Let's get the animals up. Let's just sell it right there. It's easier. Easier isn't always better. Easiest always isn't always the best way. That's something we should remember today even. Okay, number two, they blurred the focus of true worship. I remember Jesus talking about... Uh, he, he talked a lot about, he would be at the temple and he'd be observing things and he'd be teaching his disciples. And there was a lot of people with a lot of wealth that were walking by the treasury and dumping bags of money in. And then there was a poor widow that only had two mites, two like copper pennies of, of sorts. And she put that in and he looks and he points it out to his disciples because she just gave more than everybody here. And they're like, whoa. They're like, he doesn't know how to add. He's the Messiah, but he just doesn't. Math and money, he's not good at that. So no, he, she gave more than everybody here because she gave out of the abundance of her heart. She gave all she had. She's just, she's, her dependence is upon the Lord and her heart is for God and dependent upon God. And then there's a time that he, he talks to his disciples and he says there was a, a publican that was out there by the temple and he was saying, oh God, I thank you, Lord, that I am not a sinner like this other man over here. He pointed I thank you for blessing me. And, 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 um, and he, he's praying like that. And then, and then this other person over here is ripping his clothes and he's begging and he's whispering under his breath. He's out of the sight of the people. He's saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that is the person who had their prayer answered today. That's the one that had their prayer answered. And so God is looking at the heart 
and the connection of people and the Lord. And right here, they blurred the focus of true worship. The, the object of worship is not God, and it's not humility, and it's not hearing from and obeying, and it's uh, convenience and comfort and pleasure and entertainment, self-interest, self-promotion, so forth. So, John 2, verse 15, Jesus made a whip from some ropes, and he chased them out of the temple. He drove out the sheep, the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor, turned over their tables, and then going to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Take these things away. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. So um, we see this in John chapter 2, and this appears to be on the front end of Jesus' ministry, if it's chronological, these first few books of John. Uh, This would be on the first end. And then toward the end of his ministry, three years later, we see in Matthew, Luke, Mark, an account of Jesus going into the temple and doing the same thing. And when he goes in there, um, he says this. He, he says much of the same things. He says, Matthew 21, 13, if we look at it, he says, he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. So a den of thieves. So I don't know if there's some kickback there on the Pharisees or Sadducees, you know, the temple people allowing this to happen. Maybe there's some financial kickback. Uh, there's something going on because he calls them a den of thieves. They're robbing or upcharging things. Who all knows what's going on there? The temple is to be a house of prayer, not entertainment, not commerce, not a social club, not politics, but a place where people could come without distractions, without interruptions, without time limitations, and be allowed to talk and listen to God and hear the word of God. And so Jesus cleans house. He cleans house, and he's a single. They have temple guards. They have temple soldiers that were there. And he just, one guy, is clearing house, and people are responding and running and getting out, grabbing their stuff. The temple was being desecrated. It was being defiled. Imagine coming in here, like everybody you see is just on the call. Yeah, buy some more stock of whatever for me. Yeah, and it's just all business, and that's and that's all that's going on. And 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 then people leave. That would be a sad day in America. Takeaways uh, number three: the temple needed cleansing. It needed cleansing. Certainly did. Yep, needed cleansing. Godly wrath is eternal opposition to what is evil. As such, it is not at all opposed to love, but is really the action of holy love in the face of evil. Love for those who are outcasts often requires judgment against their oppressors. I find it interesting. Um, so Jesus came, you know, Gentiles aren't able to pray. In, and all of everything's getting blurred, the true focus of worship. And Jesus comes and cleanses the temple. It's interesting that he is coming Again, to cleanse the earth, to judge the earth with the same zeal, with the same zeal. 
Wow, take these things away. He will judge the earth and those who find themselves in opposition to God and who are thwarting or trying to resist or rebel the goodness of his kingdom, they will be cast into the lake of fire to be consumed. John chapter 2, verses 17 through 21 Then his disciples remembered the prophecy from the scripture. This is from Psalm 69. David wrote this. Passion for God's house will consume me. A holy love and care for what is right and what ought to be will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered He had said this, and they believed both the scripture and what Jesus had said. If you've heard or read about the Samaritan woman who was at the well, um, the Samaritan woman at the well, we'll be coming on this in a a month or two, is John chapter 4. And she's talking with him, and they're having dialogue And she says, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim that it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He's saying a lot. When we see that, what he said to the Samaritan woman, and then when we see how he answered the religious leaders, he said, destroy this temple... And in three days, I will build it up again. In a sense, he's signaling a whole bunch of things right there with that statement. Jesus ended temple worship. When he died on the cross for the sins of the world, there was no more purchasing of animals for sacrifices necessary. No more veil separating the holy of holies, from the common people. No more need for human intermediaries. Not an emphasis on traveling to Jerusalem once a year or more. And then, of course, uh, if we look at history, Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed in 70 AD altogether. What's cool is when Jesus was hanging on the cross, Luke chapter 23, verse 44 through 46, by this time it was about noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock, 
The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle, and Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. At that moment, temple worship, the temple was still there, and people kept going there to worship. Temple worship was done. It was over. It was over. Look at Ephesians. All right. Lean in now. Look at Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. And we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So whereas God's spirit, his presence, occupied the temple in Jerusalem, now his presence resides not in a building, Not in the Holy of Holies, but in you and I because of the transaction that Jesus Christ made. Jesus being the cornerstone of the temple and each of us being built upon Christ as stones of the temple of God. And now his very spirit connects with us and empowers us and leads. That's his desire for all people everywhere throughout the entire world. They would respond to him and his salvation they would receive Christ. Wow. 1 Corinthians 6, 13, 3, 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy, I like this. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I don't know if you caught that. If anybody, we're his temple now. If anyone destroys us, he will destroy them. Because he has zealousness. I don't know if that's a word. He has the same zeal that he had for the temple. Jesus showed for the temple. That is the zeal that God has for you and I. We are his temple and he is zealous for us. He doesn't want any harm to be done to us. In any way. He doesn't want us to be defiled. He doesn't want us to be abused. He doesn't want us to be um, anything negative. Anything to happen. We are his beloved children. Adopted into his kingdom. He cares for us with a tender jealousy. Not wanting any harm to come to us. Now. There's going to be all kinds of things that happen to us on this earth. But not without his notice. And there's coming a day where he will judge the living and the dead. You are his temple, I am his temple. Relevance, number one, I am the temple of the living God. In the same way that the old temple was valued and esteemed and important and connected to God, you and I are now that. God lives in us, we have direct access, there's no wall of separation because of Jesus Christ. Say, I am the temple of God. Say, I am the temple of God. Say, I am the dwelling place of God on earth. Yeah, I am the dwelling place of God on earth. I am a walking temple. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself anymore. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. If we are the temple of God, if indeed God places that worth upon us, if indeed he dwells within us, then we ought to honor God with our body. That was Paul speaking. Here's Peter speaking, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5. He says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit and hypocrisy and jealousy and unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. Grow in the word of God. Eat the word of God. We were talking about that in the Believers series this morning. You must crave pure spiritual milk so you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have a taste of the Lord's kindness. Now that you're beginning to see, you're getting a glimpse of the great love of God. Now, so when a baby first gets a taste of some baby food or something, so for a long time, it's, it's milk they're having. And then they get a taste of something else and something else. But you know what? If a baby is hungry, they let you know. They let you know. And they will do, they just will scream and scream until they get what they want, uh, when they want it, which is now. And so that is how we are to be. Once we know the goodness, we've tasted the goodness, the kindness, the greatness of God, then we just want it. We are like uncontrollable little babies screaming for God to give us more. Give me some more, God. I want more. I want more. You cannot keep me away from the Bible. You can't keep me away from the gathering of believers because I want to know more of God and experience more of him. Unnatural to the flesh and the mind, but when we are born again, all of a sudden there's a new desire that wants to know God and know the level of revelation that he has for each of our lives. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. He's building us. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Our lives should not blur lines of convenience. Our lives should not blur lines of focus. But number two, I am called to be holy and pure. And with God's help, with God's help, and as I surrender to him, and as I lean into him, and as I nourish myself on his word and his spirit, he helps me to live an upright life and a godly life. And he's working on us, and he's not going to stop working on us until we meet Jesus face to face. So we're all works in progress, becoming more holy, more diligent, more spirit-filled, more pure. And, and just want to stop there because God is desiring to train each of us so that we don't just have emotional, spiritual encounters, and that's all. God is all for us encountering him in a powerful way, 
But he does not want to leave us there. He wants to then begin to train us as his own children, his sons and daughters, to become more spiritually mature in the things of God, to grow in maturity in the disciplines in self-control and the fruit of the Spirit. He needs to teach us and grow, and we need to begin to strategize spiritually and work with one another to help one another, assist and support one another, so that we can properly budget our time and our lives and our energy and our habits so we can form the right habits to win and to be successful in the kingdom of God. God wants to train us in all righteousness. All righteousness. There are things that each of us deal with that are holding us back or are distracting us. And God wants to help us with one another to be able to build things, build systems of holiness and godliness and challenge one another and encourage one another in the Lord to take those steps so that where some of us are weak, other ones can come alongside and help and teach and support because we just don't have it on our own. Don't have all the answers. God has principles in his scripture that we have yet to uncover for success in specific areas and arenas of life and relationships and interactions and engagements. He wants to grow our faith. And so we need to come together and we need each other and we need to learn from God's word and allow God to minister to us and through us to one another. I'm called to be holy and pure. And so we have encounters, spiritual encounters that are powerful and we feel God maybe even tangibly, his presence. And that is something we should celebrate and be so grateful for. And even as we're being grateful for that and celebrating that, we need to become students of, disciples of, followers of, soldiers of, servants of God to grow in strength, spiritual strength, where our roots go down deep and we can stand up to the winds of adversity and the sun of persecution that may come. We can be strong and rooted. Okay, 1 Peter 2, 9, you are royal priests, you and I. We're all, we all, we've all been to seminary if we've met Jesus. Because we're his holy temple and he calls us his priests. Okay, you're his priests now. A holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you know the way, so like if we go on a hike as a family and my oldest son runs ahead and he knows the way and then he comes back and he says, actually, we should cut through here. It's quicker and shorter and and we'll get there quicker. Once you know, you can show other people. Once you've experienced, you can point it out. And we are royal priests. We can show others the goodness of God. Number three, I'm called to present God to the world. Just as the temple was effective because of its beauty and magnificence and efficiency, because the truth it contained, the Ark of the Covenant was there, the teachings went out from there, the law was taught to the people from there, the Spirit of God was tangibly experienced there on many occasions, or smoke within the temple. We are to bless the people of the world through our words and actions, and we know that. 
I love a song from the 80s. I don't like it because it's from the 80s or because it sounds like the 80s. But I like the song because of the words. And actually, the song ministered to me a lot. And it ministered to me, came to my mind this week. And um, it's, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. There's another song that came to mind. Change my heart, oh God. Another 80s song. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you, because you are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God, may I be like you. 2023-2024, my prayer is that we have a growing anticipation, a hunger for the things that satisfy, that we're in the Word, that we're filled with His Spirit, and that we're ready for what God has for us. We're ready. We're a temple that's ready for what God has for us. Questions, what am I allowing to pollute my temple right now? God, help me. What am I allowing to distract from God's purpose? Lord, cleanse me. Help me. Let's help one another. Three, let's pray to God. We're going to do that now. And let's help one another. Reflect on that. And you know what? There's many different ways that God may desire to speak to you and I even right now application that we haven't even spoken of, but that's specific to each of us. Search your heart. Let God search your heart right now. Let him cleanse your temple right now.